0: All right, okay, so we are starting a new series today, and uh, but you know, yeah, we're at the beginning of a series, but we've been continuing, we've been going through the book of Acts for the past, we've been going through Luke and Acts for the past five years or so, so uh, really it's not the beginning of a series, but you know, we'd like to break it apart. So uh, this series, this part of Acts, we're calling it On the Road Again because uh, one of our main characters of the book of Acts, his name is Paul, he uh, goes on this missionary journey and we call that the first trip, the, his first missionary journey. And today we're gonna be talking, and for this series we're gonna be talking about his second missionary journey and that's why we call it On the Road Again. Yeah, so uh, let me recap for you guys because the last time we talked about the book of Acts was about four months ago. So I know like a lot of you guys have been like, keeping up with the stuff in Acts, No, you you guys haven't, right? So we're going to do a quick recap as to what's been going on. So let's take a look at this map. So uh, we started, this is the Mediterranean Sea, and over here we have Israel, and the main city in Israel is a place called Jerusalem. And this, according to the book of Acts, is where the church began. That is the place, the epicenter of the Jesus movement. Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, and after that... You know, he said, hey, uh, I'm going to train my disciples and they are going to start this movement called the church. And as this church starts, the, well, these, these Jewish boys, 12 of them, they didn't know exactly what to expect because as soon as the church starts in Acts chapter two, People start speaking different languages, and they're like, "Oh, I guess we're supposed to let these people as a part of our movement." And then all of a sudden, people who were Jews who were out of the from out of the country, they, they start joining the group. And then people who were like, you know, people of different uh, backgrounds, people who were considered to be compromisers of the Jewish faith, they join the group. And there's this Ethiopian who is not you know the same skin color or they're you know and he's a, he's a eunuch so they're not even sure of his gender identity like they start including more and more and more people people they never thought would join this group are joining this movement and so the best way to recap what's been going on is this that god is methodically expanding his kingdom Like, God's like, hey, we're going to bring that person in. We're going to bring that group in. We're going to ask that people if they're interested in joining. And it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And the church's response? Well, the church was just playing catch up with God. It's like, hey, we're just a bunch of 12-year-old. We're just 12 Jewish boys. But uh, I guess we're going to include them because God said so. Oh, God's moving over there? Okay, that's part of our group. Oh, God's moving over there? Okay, you're part of our group. And the group got bigger and bigger and bigger. And they're like, "I I don't know if we could keep up with this but they do because God in his spirit and his power that he gives us, he gives us the energy and gives us the way to somehow incorporate more and more different people from different backgrounds. And as this is happening, they're like, hey, you know, what should we do with this, this influence that we have? What should we do with this? It's like, I don't know. Let's just keep going where the spirit of God is going. And so they keep expanding and expanding and expanding. And then eventually, remember how we started in Jerusalem? Well, next slide. We go from Jerusalem and we go outside of Israel. We go north about 300 miles and we arrive at a place called Antioch. A bunch of guys said, hey, let's start a church here. This is the first outside of Israel church and it's multicultural, multi-ethnic. As a matter of fact, the people who led the church, there's five of them, they come from different areas from the Mediterranean Sea. There's people who come from the northern area, there's two who come from Africa area, there's people who come from Israel, right? And one of them who was recruited into this group, his name was Paul the Apostle. He was this former Jewish zealot, like he was a Pharisee, he's crazy smart, and he, he used to hunt down and kill Christians because he thought the Christian movement was, was an abomination to God, But after he had this amazing experience, and we'll talk about that later, he said, no, I'm for the church now. I'm for Jesus. I'm pro-Jesus. I'm going to put my life on the line for Jesus. So as soon as they were like, this is crazy. This is such a good movement because with God moving, we're actually tearing down walls. People who we thought would never unite, they're uniting. Like there's Jews and Gentiles, masters and slaves, men and women. They're all coming together as if they're equal. We've never seen that before. And so Paul is like, this is such good news. We need to go and notify the other synagogues around the world to let them know. Because they don't know what just happened in in Israel. They don't know what's happening here in in Antioch. So what we need to do is we need to go and tell people two things. Number one, in case they don't know because they've been living away from from Israel. We have to tell these Jewish synagogues, we have to tell them, hey, you know that guy that we've been waiting for? Our scriptures have told us about there's this Messiah that's coming. Well, he arrived. We need to let them know that he's here. And the second thing is, and that God kind of changed the way that we live. Like we used to live according to the rules of the Old Testament, and we don't have to do that anymore. So we need to go and let them know. So they decide to go on this first trip, and we call that Paul's first missionary journey. So he gets on a boat with his friend Barnabas, and he starts to sail, and he's like, we got to tell everybody about Jesus and this new covenant, this new way of connecting with God. So he goes on this journey. Here's a little map. So from here, this is Antioch, he goes on a boat, and he sails all the way over here to Cyprus, and then he goes north to a place called Pisidian Antioch, and from there he goes to Iconium, and then he goes to Lystra, then Derbe, and he's like, hey, let's, let's go back. So he turns around, goes back to Lystra, he goes to Iconium, back to Pisidian, Antioch. You don't have to know these places. And then he goes down, he's like, oh, quick detour. He makes a turn, and he goes along the shoreline over here, back to his home base in Antioch. Now, remember, I said that the purpose of going there, in the, going on this trip in the first place is to tell people that Jesus is Messiah. And when he told these people that, they accepted that pretty well. But the second part of that journey, which is I'm here to tell everybody that the Old Testament, the rules, the commandments in the Old Testament, they no longer hold weight in this new movement. They didn't like that. And so people started complaining. People started threatening them. And so when people started threatening them, Paul had to second guess, like, wait a minute. Did I just preach heresy? Like, did I say, did I teach the wrong things? Because I'm pretty sure this is what Jesus is teaching. But I I never talked to his disciples. You know what I'm going to do? I need to go down to Jerusalem because that's where Jesus' followers were, like the, the 12 disciples. I need to go down there and talk to them about that because when I talk to them about that, I could confirm with them if this, what we're doing right now, is true. You know, like, if we've got to make sure this is right. So, from the first missionary journey, we move on to this new thing that he does, which is called the Council of Jerusalem. This is basically Paul saying, guys, am I crazy? Like, one day I was on this horse, and, uh, I was about to go and kill some Christians, and then I saw this bright light, and I saw this vision of Jesus saying, well, why do you persecute me? And, and when I could see again, I, I decided to be on Team Jesus. And since then, I've been believing that Jesus is the Messiah and that our relationship to the Old Testament is now different. I want to make sure this is right. So he met and he went down to Jerusalem and met with Jesus' original followers. And while he was there meeting with these followers, they, they had this council, they had this meeting, and Paul's like, let me, let me share first. Guys, um, I went on this missionary trip, and this is what I discovered. When I talk to people about the, in these Jewish synagogues around the world, when I talk to them about Jesus, they're pretty accepting. But when I start talking about the role of the Old Testament in our faith, in our new faith, they want to kill me. Like, they, they chase me out of their towns, and, and they chase me to the next town, and they, they threaten me. Like, but let me tell you what I've also discovered. These Gentiles, people who are not Jewish, they're, like, really excited about this message. And then he sits down. And then <clears throat> Peter, arguably Jesus' number one disciple, he stands up at this council, and he says this. Guys, recently I was at a place called Joppa. I had this crazy vision. Didn't know what it meant, but I was, imp- I was inclined to go to this Roman centurion's house. And when I was there, I ate with them. I had a sleepover at his place and I baptized him right and God was moving in that house like I think this is I think this is what Jesus wants us to do but here's the thing by Peter doing that he was actually neglecting the old testament there's a lot of rules in the old testament that says that Jews cannot mix they cannot eat with people who are of different backgrounds so he's like Peter's like I had a fork on the road and it was either I had to disobey my old testament commands or follow where the spirit was leading me and I went with the spirit and God honored it and then Peter sits down and the most important person in the room James he's a half brother of Jesus he stands up and he's like I heard everybody's argument and here is my judgment and I shared when we talked about this a few months ago I said this is the most important verse in the entire book of Acts and if you could memorize one verse from Acts It's this verse. This is chapter 15, verse 19. This is James, the half-brother Jesus, sharing. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. I mean, I need to repeat this. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. This means if there's anything that's in the way of somebody coming to Jesus, we need to move it out of the way. What does that mean? Yeah. That also includes the Old Testament commandments. Wait, are we talking about, like, some of the Old Testament? Like, no, all of them. You mean including the Ten Commandments? Yeah, but, God, I I think, like, you should not murder. I think that's a pretty good command. Maybe we should keep that one. And Paul would say, well, no, we don't need to keep that because as followers of Jesus... The one command that we follow is to love ourselves and love others, or love others as we love ourselves, love others as Christ has loved us, love God, right? If we follow those commands, then do not murder is kind of part of that, you know? So, like, we, our relationship with the Old Testament is no longer there. I mean, the Old Testament stories are important, but the commands of the Old Testament, we could definitely start letting go of it. Well, what else? Well, up until now, Being a follower of God meant that you have to be a Jew. He's like, we have to let go of that too. That's another roadblock. Well, what about rituals? Yeah, we definitely have to let go of those too. There's somebody who's going around the churches that Paul visited telling people that you have to get circumcised. He's like, we don't have to do that anymore because that's Old Testament rules. Those are rituals. We're going to let go of those things. And Paul's like, yeah, that's what I've been preaching. So, okay, so we're on the same page, right? And the council of Jerusalem's like, yes, that's what our Lord Jesus taught us. And Paul's like, yeah, that's what I thought, but people are trying to kill me for it. And the apostles are like, yeah, us too. We totally get it, right? So we went for the first missionary journey to the Council of Jerusalem. And then today we're starting the second missionary journey. This is a journey where Paul's like, now that we've all agreed, all of Christianity has agreed that this is who we are, I need to go back to those churches and tell them of this decision. So the, the reason for the second, second, second missionary journey is to let everybody know that this is who we are. We all agree that this is where Jesus wanted us to go. Now, I wanna share a little quick story. So a few days ago, my son played Little League. He, he, he made it to the championship game and we were the number one seed at the time and we we're playing the number two seed. And we were, um, I think we lost one game and we tied once, but every other game we won. So we, the other team knew how good we were. We beat that their team three times already, was it three times? We beat him three times already, and they're like, we need to do everything we can to beat him the fourth time, uh, on the fourth try. And so what the, so you know, he knew, the coach of the other team knew that like, my players are not good enough to beat you know, my son's team. So the coach decided to pull every single rule out of the Little League game book and decided to use it against us. So he didn't break any rules, but he was using it in a way to frustrate us. So in the middle, like, our best batter goes up to bat, not my son. <laughs> but best batter goes up. The coach comes out and says, like, hey, I want to check that bat. And it's like, are you sure this is regulation? Are you sure this is good? Like, he's questioning. And he's allowed to do that, but he's doing that. You know, and he'll start shouting as, as the pitchers, our pitchers trying to throw the ball to throw him off. You know, and he's not breaking any rules. But, you know, like, yeah, okay. If you ask, like, if we complain, they will say, well, he didn't break any rules. Like, we understand. But the parents... They were like, just let the kids play. Like, you are following all the rules of Little League Baseball, but you're missing with the spirit of the game. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? You can follow every single rule, not break any rules, but you can still break the spirit of the game. Okay, so what Paul is arguing here, okay, is when it comes to Christianity, or maybe I'll ask you this question. Have you met a Christian who obeys every quote-unquote Christian rule but doesn't embody the spirit of Jesus? Do you know what I'm talking about? They're like, yeah, uh, you know, I, I don't curse, you know, and I guess that's, that might be a Christian rule, or I don't drink, I don't, that, I don't know if that's a Christian rule, but you know, I think society has given us, like these are the rules of being a Christian. You're not supposed to do this, you're not supposed to do that, and maybe you met somebody who followed all those rules, but for some reason, when you're talking to that person, they haven't broken any rules, but it's like, it doesn't feel like Jesus to me, right? And this is the issue that Paul was dealing with, is that there's a bunch of people who are coming to these churches, telling everybody, this is how you need to live your your Christian life. But as they're living the Christian life that way, they're like, yeah, but it doesn't feel right. Like, are you sure we're supposed to be bound by all these rules? Because we know a lot of religious people who follow the rules, like they're technically following all the rules, but it doesn't feel like Jesus to us, right? And so this is what Paul is gonna be addressing in the second... Missionary journey. So let's start that story. Chapter sixteen of Acts. Here we go. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where the disciples named T- disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, and whose father was a Greek. Now, in case you have no idea what's going on here, um, here's another map illustration for you guys. So over here, we're starting from Antioch, and they go to Derby, and then next they go to Lystra. Now, if this map looks familiar to you, it's because these are the same destinations that Paul went to on the first trip, okay? But the difference here is that he kind of went through the back door. And when he went here, he met a guy by the name of Timothy. And Timothy is a mixed person. His mom is Jewish and a Christian, and the dad is a Greek. What, What does that mean? Timothy, who is a mix of the two, has a bad reputation at Jewish synagogues because he's considered to be a compromiser. He's not a pure Jew. So Paul's like, oh, I want to take him on this journey with me as a third member, but it might make it harder for me to go to these synagogues because people will be like, hey, you, uh, Paul, you've been hanging out with a non-Jew, so that makes you unclean, so you can't come into our synagogue. Like, it's going to ruin my ministry. It's like, oh, okay, maybe I'll interview the people around Timothy and see if he's really worth the trouble. Next verse. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Like, okay, okay, so it sounds like he has a really good reputation amongst these places, but I still need to find a way to include him in my journey without losing my reputation when I go to these synagogues. So, Paul has this bright idea, which I don't think Timothy was excited about, which is this. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him, as you as anybody would, would probably, because of the Jews who lived in that area, so uh, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. They wanted to make sure, like if somebody, like if Tim, back in those days they didn't have private baths, so if like one day in one of those cities, Timothy goes to the bathhouse and one of the people of the synagogue is like bathing with them, and he glances over, like, oh, you are not one of us, right? So he wanted to make sure, like in any circumstance we will be allowed to go into the synagogue. Now, some of you might be thinking, or maybe none of you guys are thinking this, some of you might be thinking, wait, didn't Paul just say that we don't have to get circumcised? Why is he getting Timothy to get circumcised? What Paul is saying here is you are not required to get circumcised because Jesus doesn't care about that kind of stuff. But... Because we're so dedicated to this mission, because we, have, we need to have a reputation before we go and talk to these people, like, they won't even listen to me if I was traveling with an uncircumcised person. So Timothy got circumcised not so he could be accepted by God. He got circumcised so that they would at least have a, a place to speak, so that people, they would have an audience to, to listen. So good job on Timothy for taking it for the team. Uh, good job. Good um, job. I'm sure he's like, this better be worth it. <laughs> Anyways, let's move on. I, did, I appreciate his dedication, though, you know. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decision reached by the apostles that the, you know, the, from the Council of Jerusalem and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Like, hey, guys, this is what we decided. And as they started spreading this news, this is what happened. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. They're like, we love this new version of our relationship with God. We don't have to follow these rules anymore? You're telling me that people who aren't like us are now allowed to come in here and join us? You mean that person who has a past doesn't have to go through some ritual in order to join our group? That person could just walk right in? Oh, this is great. You mean that person who's of different race could be part of our church family? This is wonderful. And so the church grew, and Paul's really excited. So Paul and his companions, they moved on. They traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. What does that mean? Okay, here's another map. So from where we were before, Lystra, he moves in this direction up to here. Okay, and um, in case you don't know where we are, this is present-day Turkey. This whole thing is Turkey. Um, now, I wanna give you an idea of what these regions were. Next slide. This area right here is called Galatia. This, is, this right here is Phrygia. This pocket down here is Asia. Now, when we think Asia, we think about the continent Asia. Uh, that name didn't exist yet. Um, right here is the Aegean Sea. And so, and, and Greece is over here. So the people who are Greek, used to say, hey, there's an Aegean sea, so the people who live here must be Asians. And when the Roman Empire took over, they would look over to the east and say, well, all that over there must be Asia. And that's how that continent got its name, just so you guys know. know, Okay, but um, this is Asia, and God kept on telling Paul Avoid this area. I want you to go around. Go, go, go. So, the places that they stop by, Derby, Lystra, Iconium is here, and they keep on going. This area is called Galatia and Phrygia. Now, why is that important? Because there's this question that a lot of people ask, because it's not recorded for us in the book of Acts. What is the message that Paul was preaching in all these cities? I mean, we know that he was trying to convince people, like, this is what the church stands for now. But what was he preaching, or what specifically was he preaching, and what kind of arguments did he use? Well, as it turns out, we know exactly what he was talking about, because as he was passing through here, we discover that there's another group of people who are passing through here right behind him, unteaching the things that Paul was teaching. What I mean by that is when Paul says A, B, and C, a group of people will come behind him and say, not A, not B, not C, do not listen to Paul because you can't trust him. And Paul hearing about this is like, oh man, that is not cool, he was like frustrated, he was furious, and so he wrote a letter to the churches in Galatia telling him, hey, those people who said that I was telling a lie, that you shouldn't listen to a word I'm saying, well, here's a letter to teach you the things that they were unteaching about the things I was teaching, does that make sense? You guys are following, good, okay, and that book, that letter is called the book of Galatians, and we have that in our Bible. We call it the book of Galatians, but it's actually a letter. And in this letter, he says, hey, I know there's a group of people who came in and untaught the things I've been teaching you. Well, I'm going to teach it back to you, but this time I'm going to give you a stronger argument. And that's what the book of Galatians is. So I'm going to do a quick overview of the entire book of Galatians. Doesn't mean that you, can, you, don't, you don't have to read it anymore because I'm going to skip a few piece, parts of it. But he has some really good arguments in here. Okay." And by studying the book of Galatians, we get a better idea of what Paul was teaching to these people. Does it make sense? All right, so this is what the book of Galatians is about, okay? Because there's a group of people called the Judaizers who are coming in after him to unteach the things. Paul says, you don't have to follow the laws of the Old Testament anymore. And the Judaizers will come in and say, you have to, t- you have to obey the Old Testament, You have to get circumcised. You have to follow these commands. You have to do these rituals. And Paul's like, no, don't. Don't do that. So he starts off the letter by talking about his own story, Paul's story. And he says this. These people who came in the Judaizers, they're teaching you a false gospel. And he even goes as far as to say, I want to curse the people who are teaching you this false gospel. And then he says, let me tell you about my story. Remember my past? I used to be a Pharisee. I used to murder people of the church, but on the way to my next murdering spree, and I thought I was doing God's work for him, which I wasn't because I misunderstood God, I had this bright vision of Jesus. When I was able to see again, I was like, I'm on team Jesus now. And here, If you read the book of Acts, you're familiar with that part of the story. But in the book of Galatians, he reveals what he did right after that because I guess Luke didn't know what happened, but Paul's revealing to us now what he did. He said, after that, I went to Arabia. You guys didn't see that coming, huh? I was like, Paul went to Arabia? Yeah, he went to Arabia. And in Arabia, he basically had his own retreat. He started reading through the Old Testament again. And as he's reading through these pages or scrolls, you know, as he's reading through the scrolls, he realizes, whoa, I didn't see that there before. Whoa, 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 like I didn't see that. I'm seeing these passages in a different way. Am I crazy? So, in the book of Galatians, he reveals that right after he made these discoveries in his own study, he traveled to Jerusalem to meet with Peter, Jesus' number one disciple. And he said, Can we share notes, Peter? I want to know if, when what I'm arriving at, is what you guys arrived at, like what your Lord Jesus has taught you. And they share notes, and sure enough, Paul's like, oh my goodness. What I've discovered in the past few weeks is exactly what Jesus has been teaching you this whole time. Wow, this is mind-blowing. So from there, he starts talking about the next topic, which is Paul's new revelation. He's like, He said, and after that meeting with Peter, I came back there 14 years later because I was doing even more research, and I discovered that my relationship with, my, with the Old Testament needs to change, and I wanted to make sure if this is right. So he met with not just Peter this time, but with all the apostles that were still alive at the time, and he said, guys, can we have a private meeting? We don't want anybody else here. It's like, sure, okay, we'll have the apostles and maybe a few other church members. We'll have a private meeting. And the reason why he wanted to keep this private is because what he was about to share was controversial. Like, it could get them killed controversial. And this controversy is, hey, I'm getting this weird sense, Paul would say. In the past 14 years, as I've been studying this text, I think what I'm discovering is that God doesn't want us to follow the commands of the Old Testament anymore. It's like, whoa, that's crazy, right? It's like, that's crazy. But as they are talking about the apostles are like, that's exactly what our Lord Jesus taught us too. He talked about how you can't put pour new wine into old wineskin. You can't stitch up an old piece of rag with a new one. Like it'll, you'll ruin both sides. You keep the old old, you bring in the new, you just live with the new. But as it turns out, according to this letter, Paul says, but in that meeting were spies, there are some people who are pretending to be Christian. They were just there to find out if there's a way for them to convict these people by saying, these guys are too loose with our Jewish practices. These guys are teaching heresy. And so the spies got that information. They went out into the world and started telling people, don't listen to Paul. Whatever Paul is teaching is false. And people put a price on his neck, like, hey, let's, let's get rid of Paul. Whenever he comes to your town, you know, kill him or, you know, throw stones at him or chase him out of your town. And that's what they did. In the letter, there's this other interesting story about how one day he was hanging out in Antioch and Peter decided to visit him in Antioch. And while they're in Antioch, Peter's hanging out with people who are not Jew. Like, hey, let's eat together because Jesus told us that we could be together now. And then these Judaizers, these people, these spies, they showed up in the church in Antioch. And while they were hanging out there, um, Peter, Paul noticed this, Paul's like, Peter, what are you doing? Because he noticed that Peter was starting to not hang out with the non-Jews, with the Gentiles, and, and little by little, he was starting to make his distance, you know, <laughs> and in the followers of Peter were also starting to do that, and so Paul, in this letter, he's like, yeah, there's this one time where I had to publicly, like, call him out, like, Peter, what are you doing? Pete, like, you're not supposed, to... is it because the Judaizers are here? No, 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 you are starting to fall back into your old patterns, so like this is all written in the book of Galatians, right? And so then he moves on to this next section. He says, well, what about the law? What about the Old Testament rules? Like how are we supposed to grow if we don't have the Old Testament rules? Like for generations now, we've been reading the thou shalt's and thou shalt nots and that's how we became the people we are. We learned how to be the people who, like our growth was based on the law. Like what are we supposed to do with that? Why did he give us the law in the first place? Paul says, well, Jesus taught us that the whole summary of the Old Testament laws is to love God and love others. But obviously we haven't been doing that. So you claim that the Old Testament laws has been shaping you. Well, it really hasn't. So the issue is not the content of the Old Testament laws. The issue here is that we are unable to obey the Old Testament laws. We're unable to love the people who are different from us. So if you're wondering how are we going to be shaped now because we don't have the law, Well, let me tell you what you're supposed to do. Use the spirit of God. The spirit of God is going to come inside of you, and he's going to transform you, and he's going to become more and more like Jesus. And the more you become like Jesus, the more you're going to be able to become a person who loves your neighbor, loves God, loves people who are different than you. So there you go. That's what you need to do. It's like, well, then why, why, why did God give us the law in the first place? Well, Paul says, well, there is a reason why God gave you the law at that time in history. The reason why God gave you the law back then in that time in history is because, well, two reasons. Number one is because he first wanted to show you that we were all sinners, that we are unable to love the people around us. But the second reason is that he wanted to make sure you, you stayed in check. Like you want, he wanted to make sure that you wouldn't go too far out of the boundaries that God set for you guys until Jesus returned, or until Jesus came. And Jesus did come, and he fulfilled the law. So you're saying we're not supposed to use the law anymore. And, you know, you, as a Jew, as a Jew you're, you're starting to get agitated because that's all you knew, right? So the next section he addresses this. Well, what does a world without law look like? What does a world without the Ten Commandments look like? What would that look like? Like, how will we grow? Like, or how about this? If the spirit is the one that's transforming us from the inside out, how will we know if we're actually on the right track? Like before, we could just look at the rules and say, hey, we follow these rules, so we're on the right track. But how do we know if we are actually moving in the right direction? Paul says, if you want to know if you're on the right track, if you want to know if the spirit is actually transforming your heart, I'll give you the list. And he calls this the fruit of the spirit. Like If you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control developing in your life, then you're on the right track. If you don't see this stuff forming in your life, then the Spirit is not transforming you. Look at yourself now than where you were five years ago. If you're not more loving and joyful and peaceful, and if you're not more kind, if you're not more patient, if you're not more faithful, if you're not showing more self-control, then the Spirit is not moving in you. And if you think that this stuff is going to come automatically, sometimes it does, but other times you have to cultivate it and nurture it. And then finally, in the final section, because this, oh, next slide. Right? And then in the final section, the question is well, now what? What are we supposed to do? Oh, next slide. Now what? Paul says if you have this fruit of the Spirit, start showing that fruit to the people around you start loving the people. The people who, are, who are, are pushed out of society, go reach out to them and show them the fruit. Love on them. Show them joy. Forgive them. Be generous to them. Care for them. Show them Christ's love. Do good. And then the final section Paul, apparently he had a scribe, because at this point he's like, I am writing this, he actually says this, like, I am writing this part with my own handwriting, like, right? And he says, I'm writing this part with my own hand because this is so important. He says, do not, do not go back to the law. Do not do that, right? Do not crawl back to the Old Testament laws. Do not do that. And I know this is controversial, Especially if following these rules were part of your identity, you're going to want to get rid of me, right? But he's like, this is so important. Do not go back to the Old Testament. Because by doing that, well, what you're doing is saying like, hey, Jesus dying on the cross didn't accomplish anything. So what are we supposed to do, Paul? He says, well, instead, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to run into the arms of Jesus. So that is what the book of Galatians says. And because we know what the book of Galatians says, we know what Paul was preaching to all those cities like Derby, Iconium, and Lystra, because this is the message that he was preaching to them. Do not, as followers of Jesus, we are no longer supposed to follow the Old Testament laws. Instead, we're supposed to follow the law of Christ, which is love others as Christ has loved you. And if you think about the way that Christ has loved us, He sacrificed himself for us. He gave himself away for us. He was generous with us. He was with us when nobody else will be with us. He says, that is how you're supposed to live now. Not, I'm doing this because the Bible said so. And he says, if you do, if you live according to Christ's law, if you live according to Jesus, if you keep running into his arms, then this is what's going to happen. The spirit of God's going to fill you and you are gonna be able to accomplish what the law was not able to accomplish. And you say, and that is what the church is. You need to love one another because the people who follow the law, they were not able to do that successfully. Now, the question here is, what does this have to do with today, right? Because we're talking about stuff that happened 2,000 years ago. What does this have to do with this today? Well, this is what it has to do with, this is why, why this is important. Whether you know it or not, from time to time, a lot of the Old Testament laws, they creep back into our lives. For example, if you see somebody doing something wrong, maybe even in the church, and your first reaction is judgmentalism. That is something that was taught in the Old Testament. That is an Old Testament law. If you feel like when somebody does something bad, and the first thing you think is we have to punish them, There are many, many laws in the Old Testament that talk about how we should punish the people who do wrong. But what does Jesus say in the New Testament? Forgive them. Forgive them twice. Forgive them three times. He's like, you know what? Just forgive them infinitely. Just continue to forgive them. Why? Because Jesus forgives us over and over and over and over again. In the Old Testament, preservation is a very important part. Preservation of lineage, preservation of... Of the country. But what does Jesus say in the New Testament? We're going to give ourselves away. We're going to sacrifice ourselves for the well-being of the people around us. So if you find yourself, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, that your inclination is, let's do everything to protect the church. And if it's not, what can we do today to give ourselves away so that the people around us are better off for it? That's the Old Testament creeping back into your life. If you feel like you know we need to be more exclusionary, the people who look like us are the only people who are allowed in here, and the people who don't look like us will make it difficult for them to join our our community. That's a very Old Testament law way of looking at things. They had rules about who you're not allowed to marry because they're not of the same tribe. But in the New Testament, like we just saw about Timothy's parents, we celebrate people who are different coming together. The church in Antioch is the first multicultural, multicultural, super diverse church, and it's celebrated. Some people, scholars say that the church in Antioch is the model church. People talk about the church in Jerusalem being the model church, but most, most people would say, no, that's the model church, because that's the church where most walls were torn down, where people from different economic statuses, people of different skin color, people of different backgrounds came, back, came together, and they loved being together. So church, what can we do? I think the best thing that we could do right now is to self-assess. What kind of Old Testament law or principle have we carried into our church today? And let's not just talk about church, let's talk about us individually. How am I treating my neighbors? How am I treating my coworkers, my fellow students, our roommates, our partners? Am I trying to control them by using some passages in the Old Testament? Or are we trying to be like Jesus, where we're giving ourselves away, or are continually loving, selflessly, being generous. And I think that's very important. Amen? All right, let's pray.